Welcome back to another episode of the Transform Your Life podcast. I'm Angela Haug, founder of the international online coaching business, Team Ange. I'm an expert in building muscle and losing fat, a natural figure and fitness pro athlete with the UFE, and a lover of everything personal development. I'm a mom, a businesswoman. Most days, I just feel like a hot mess trying to keep it all together. I spent the first two decades of my life overweight, tired, hating vegetables, and living off Pepsi. I got sick and tired of feeling tired every day and decided to transform my life. This fitness and nutrition podcast is dedicated to educating and empowering listeners on all things training, nutrition, and personal development. I'm on a mission to help you improve your body, achieve your goals, live a confident and fulfilled life stepping into your full potential. So let's help you transform physically and mentally to a person that's been hiding underneath all along. Let's do it. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to today's episode. Today I had the opportunity to speak with a very amazing young lady by the name of Sarah Irwin. Sarah actually grew up in an area very close to where I grew up, so only about 15 minutes away, but we haven't crossed paths until today's conversation and a mutual friend connected the two of us and I think you guys are really going to enjoy the things that we talk about in today's chat. So Sarah, she's an intuitive mentor, a healer, and a yoga instructor. And from an early age, she really knew that she had these intuitive gifts and she really knew that she could sense the earth, human, man-made energies, and something happened that made her disconnect from that. So we talk about that in today's conversation. Essentially, she was pulling away from the life that she knew she really wanted. She started living out of alignment, not being authentic to who she was. And at some point, she, she essentially broke free from that and decided that she wasn't going to live that kind of life anymore. So we talk about that in today's conversation and how she was really able to heal from the inside out. So today's conversation is all about how we can really step into who we were always meant to be. We talk about the mind and body connection. We talk about the stigma surrounding mental health and and Sarah's experience with PTSD symptoms. We talk about comparing yourself to other people and those around us. We talk about how we can forgive ourselves, how shame can really make us not want to step into who we are. We dive into self-love, mental self-sabotage, and really how we as women mother everyone but ourselves. So guys, I hope you really truly enjoy this beautiful conversation that I had with Sarah. So let's get into it. My conversation with Sarah Irwin. Hello. Hey, Sarah, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, good. It's great to connect with you. You also. All right, well, I just want to kick things off by welcoming you and thank you for taking the time to have our conversation today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really, really excited. It's it, This is going to be fantastic. I loved reading through your story and taking a peek at your brand new website. And uh, yeah, this is going to be awesome. I'm super excited to share. I have lots that I love to share, love to talk about. I like to talk about things that are super uncomfortable. So this will be fun. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. So the first question I have for you today, Sarah, is let's take the audience back to the most challenging period of your life. And let's start there. So tell us a little more about what that was like. Yeah, I think the most challenging time of my life was probably knowing that my inner world was not matching my outer world. So to go into further detail, what 
I wanted my sense of self, my morals, my ethics, my beliefs were not matching the life I was living. I was living this life of shooting myself, so doing everything people thought I should be doing rather than what I knew I should be doing. That happened to be when I was in a rather unhealthy marriage. So for that to come up at that time, it was really uncomfortable. It was very painful for not just me, but everyone involved. It was almost as if I was taking on this new life in some people's eyes, which for me, it was this huge relief. It was finally walking away from this life that I really got into the habit of making everyone else happy. And I think that's very common, um, especially in today's society. We always are doing what everyone else thinks we should be doing. In small town, rural Ontario too, I think we see what everyone's done and what everyone's doing. And to walk outside of that norm sometimes can be very lonely and it can look like a betrayal to some people. So that was probably the most difficult time. It was really getting back on track with who I was inside that person that I knew was living there, but just hasn't been allowed or hadn't been allowed to flourish rather. So lots of uncomfortable growing pains there. And yeah, I think it's something we all go through when we start to awaken, start to kind of walk in that path that we really thrive in. That passion tends to spill out. And once you're awoke to it, you can't really turn your back on it. Otherwise, you just become more and more uncomfortable in the life you're living that should life rather than the life you're meant to live does that make sense mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah there's so it's... much there's so much beauty in that how did you know or what were the signs that you were mm-hmm. living out of alignment or that it just wasn't feeling right because I think what often happens for people is they don't take notice of when their soul feels like it's on fire and they don't take notice of these instances in the le- in our life when we're like, oh my God, I really feel like myself. So, yeah. so was it those kind of situations or what had you feeling so out of alignment of who you truly were? Yeah, there was a lot of things. So there was things such as my health. My health just kept spiraling downward. Um, a lot of stress in my life for really nothing anyone could really explain other than my inner world. Um, It wasn't. I wasn't really being authentic to me. And the more I stepped off of my path, the more ill I became. That and then there was simple things like I wasn't finding joy in the everyday things that I would that would usually bring me joy. I wasn't wanting to go and participate in things which you would have found me at routinely like the stag and does and going out with friends and stuff I just I wasn't finding joy in those things anymore a lot of relationships with friends and family I was almost seeing through them in a way that this seemed very superficial and so that's kind of a way we awaken as well we begin to see through and validate these relationships are they truly serving me or are they not serving me and then there's little things as well like just not being happy and not having that explanation as to why. So for me, it was that really shake up, wake up was actually taking a course. And through this course, we really had to evaluate our morals, ethics, and beliefs and really actually put pen to paper and write down what are the three most important things to in your life. And I wrote down those three things, Ange, and they were totally not in alignment with what I was doing, where I was in my life, and my entire way of living. It was completely off track to where I held these values, morals, and beliefs so strong inwardly. My outward 
world was not reflecting them. And that was literally like every moment was flashing in front of my face when I was doing things for everyone else but me. And, you know, that that's hard. That That's something you can't ignore. And yeah, just, just paying attention to truly how you feel. You have to sit with yourself. You have to be comfortable with yourself in a sense that you can really reflect on honestly is this giving me joy is this serving me is this in my highest good or am I just doing things in motion am I just going in that motion full steam ahead kind of neglecting what it is I'm here to do and how I feel internally am I trying to make everyone else happy and neglecting my own joy Mm -hmm. so what was the first step Mm. the first step was just being honest with myself And that was something that took a little while. I think once you begin to be honest with yourself, a lot of things, a lot of worms come up. A lot of, it's like, it's opening that can of worms, right? That Pandora's box. And it's not that you have to share those experiences with everyone right away, but you have to share it and be honest with yourself. So being honest with yourself is step one. Then you kind of, you have to find that forgiveness within yourself and you have to ensure that you are 100% in line with yourself if you're gonna make a decision in your life. So what I mean by that is when your job is causing you stress and that stress is causing dis-ease in your body, whether that shows up as disease or anxiety, whatever form that's taking, then you have to be honest with yourself and say, am I ready to leave this job? If there's a part of you that is holding you back, you need to then dive into why what part of you is holding you back? Why do you feel that way? You have to become 100% in line with yourself to make those decisions. You don't want to just make these sporadic decisions because you want to be your most authentic self. It takes time. It takes step. It takes inner work. I know a lot of today, we're all about what brings us joy and following that path, but you have to do the inner work. Otherwise, you're going to continue to make these, these cycles and these um, decisions in your life and they're not truly going to bring you to that spot where you want to be where you're thriving to be where your soul mind body soul wants you to be and you're going to continue to have these ailments these stresses and you're going to continue to find the same lessons pop up in your life which my theory is why not dive in deep and start working on the soul work so yeah that's that pretty much sums up what you need to be doing that first step that big decision you have to go inwards and you have to figure out what it is you want to change and why you want to change it and what's causing that change, track it back, find the pattern, and then fix it with assistance through um, someone to discuss with, a third party. I don't recommend discussing these things with friends because they're going to have their own view of you. And when you're trying to become this person you know is buried deep within you, they're going to have a very different opinion of who you are and what you should be doing because they become uncomfortable with who you're trying to be and they have to grieve that process in a sense as well because you're becoming this person that they don't they aren't familiar with so finding that other party finding that a therapist a social worker psychotherapist and then going inwards and doing that work mm-hmm. what kind of reaction did you have from the people that were closest to you in your life like loved ones <laughs> It wasn't pretty. Mm-hmm. A lot of people thought I was off my rocker, and that was that was hard. A lot of people thought that they didn't see this coming. A lot of people were just like, what is going on? What's happening? And they didn't understand. They didn't see what was behind closed doors because to a lot of people, we go out in the world and we portray ourselves in a certain manner, but we don't really show what's going on because that's vulnerability, and we don't want people to think that we're unhappy because that's deemed as sometimes being selfish. 
So I think for me, I was portraying this one way of living and that I was happy, really internally I wasn't. So when people began to see how I was truly feeling and when I started to step into myself, people didn't know how to react. So they became scared. They began to isolate me. They didn't want to have that conversation. I lost some of my bestest friends who I still haven't been able to mend bridges with, which is okay because we're very cyclic beings. We Friends and family, we all go in these cycles of being close and having a little bit of distance. Family, I love them dearly, but I really truly felt in those times that they weren't there for me, which I know in their eyes they were doing everything they could, but I felt like I just didn't have that voice. Everyone was trying to tell me what I needed to do, who I was supposed to be. So it, it gets hard when you when you go into that version of yourself that is deep within you and you start to make those changes, mind, body, soul, life, in general, just be prepared because people are going to be scared and they're not going to know how to react. And that can hurt. That can hurt because your whole world generally changes. Mm-hmm. And and it's, it's very, very painful. But going through it and now being out of it for quite a few years now, I can tell you it was the greatest gift because I truly got to see who my true friends were. I got to know myself and then I got to build relationships on who I truly was and not this should version of myself, I call it. So it hurts, but you can get through it. Just be prepared and find that that tribe, that group of people who really support you are there for you regardless of who you've been and can see you for who you truly are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that. There's so much beauty in what you just shared there, Sarah. Now, You mentioned in your bio that I read there Mm -hmm. that you had these intuitive gifts that started (laughs) when you were a child, and I want to know more about that. (laughs) Yeah, so when I was really little, the one pivotal moment that I knew that I was a little bit different was when I woke up on my dad's shoulder because he was carrying me upstairs. He had found me dancing and talking to someone that he couldn't see. And I happened to be in a room of our house, which I was terrified of. So waking up, hearing him tell my mom where he found me, what was happening, that was like my first clue that I, that something different was happening. I, I was a little bit different in the sense that I could sense and feel and see and hear things that necessarily others can't. So that was my first real experience, be it a little bit through my father and his fear. So it was a little bit scary for me coming into myself and learning about those abilities. My dad and my mom, where they were awesome, they brought in a gentleman to help within the energies of the house. So he really was able to mentor me on what it was I could do. And I began to shift energy lines within the home so that I was sleeping better and the energy was flowing much better. I had a better understanding of what was going on. So he really helped me learn through our pet cat at the time and animals on the farm as well. So it was pretty cool. But yeah, definitely very scary. And once you become tapped into that, I was able to kind of see through people and their lies. I could sense their energy very strongly. So if one of my friends say in like the fifth grade, I remember them standing there telling me something. And I could feel in every cell of my body she was lying. And I confronted her on it. And, of course, at that age, we're like, no, I'm telling the truth. How dare you? And I kind of got shunned by all my friends because I called it one of the popular girls on um, on this sense I was having. I, I knew that she was lying. And learning how to handle those situations, it, it was difficult. A lot of betrayal. I felt a lot of betrayal, which I think is normal when you can sense someone lying to you and they're telling you one thing and you're feeling another, that that feels like betrayal. So 
learning that how to kind of dive into the empathetic side of yourself is pretty hard the intuitive side of yourself so after going through a few situations like that I kind of want to shut it down it wasn't really until I left I left high school where things start to pick up again um, there was an incident in our college dorm room where some craziness happened spiritually and energetically and I was called back to that mentor which was funny enough and he started to guide me again and I kind of got back on this path I started taking courses with Kelly Elson which she's fantastic I don't know if you know her but she's awesome so it really I really had to shut down there for a while just to survive I was adolescence in a sense and those teen years yeah it's it's tough it was tough and there was a lot of scary things to me that happened because I wasn't knowledgeable as to what these gifts were and what was happening and yeah it's it's it's, it's something else to not be able to talk to someone and have to go through those things as a young girl and a teen but I'm so grateful now that I can just be me and some people think I'm weird, which is okay. I get it. But other people, they're really interested in what I do and how I do it. And a lot of moms I'm finding are bringing their children and saying, listen, I'm sensing some things going on here. Can you help educate me? How, how do I talk to her? So that's really cool. I'm very grateful for that journey. Be it a little bit scary. It's really paid off and I'm able to now pay it forward. So mm-hmm. yeah, intuition all- can be. Yeah, oh, I was going to say, are all kids born with it? I believe all children are. I believe we get closed down at a point if if we choose or if a relative can close us down. I believe we are. I believe everyone's intuitive when they're born, and it isn't until we're told we're not that we start to believe that we're not. The biggest example is if you have a baby and that baby keeps looking up at the ceiling and smiling or reaching or doing things like that, talking, or children with imaginary friends, I truly believe that those children are actually interacting with a different frequency, those who we cannot see, which could be our relatives that have passed on. Mm-hmm. My son talks mm-hmm. about it all the time, and mm-hmm. we it's so interesting because the first time he – the first time I wasn't here and my husband was here and he said hey daddy there's a ghost at the door and he wants to come in and have supper with us and so my husband texted me and he was like has he ever said that to you and I'm like no he hasn't but he's he's three so he's just starting to have a vocabulary right yeah so Ever since, ghosts have been in and out of the house. We make forts for them. He talks (laughs) about them. And I don't know why he's chosen ghosts, but I do believe that, yeah, just honoring it and... And we're, we're just rolling with it. Whatever he yeah. kind of, whatever oh. he wants to do, we just kind of invite the ghosts in. And uh, it's been very interesting to hear what <laughs> what he has to say about them. Oh, and I'm so happy to hear that. Encouraging them to just speak and share with you is so huge, especially it takes the uncertainty of it away from them, that scaredness. It really, it really takes it away. So awesome job. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. And it's really cool to hear that you've had that experience and yeah. that your child has done that as well, because it's, it's just second nature to them. They don't know what's is and is not because, because they're so pure and they're so full of light and love. So what a gift. Mm-hmm. What a gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Now I wanted to dive into some mental health stuff here with you. Sarah, so some of the things that you had kind of mentioned in your bio and in our conversation was really just 
ending the mental health stigma, talking about your own personal battle with uh, PTSD and some of the other mental struggles mm-hmm. within your family. So I'd like to talk a little more about that. Yeah, absolutely. What do you want to know? Where do I begin? Yeah. Um, holy moly. Yeah, there's so much um, to unpack there, but so really much. it's there's a reason why you feel compelled to work mm-hmm. in this space. There's a reason why you're so active on it. So what is it that draws you towards mental health that makes you mm-hmm. so passionate? Yeah, so I think my first real awareness of mental health was on my fifth birthday party at my grandparents' place. Um, the whole family, my cousins, aunts, and uncles were there. And I remember looking up at my grandma, and this is kind of making me a little teary, but I remember thinking there's just something not right here. And as I grew, I began to realize that there was. There were some mental health issues. She passed away a few years ago from dementia, but there were some other underlying things that were there as well. And that was really my first experience with mental health and illness and how it affects the family, seeing some of the turmoil and some of the grief that those living with mental illness and disease in their life, it really has a huge impact on friends and family and the dynamics of that system. And so that was my first real time where I thought, I wish I could do something. And being a child, I really, I couldn't do much, just love her as she is and be there for anyone I could at the time. As I grew older, I've had different friends, family members with depression, anxiety. It seems to be quite prominent, especially high school, early 20s. So I saw a lot of friends and family going through it around that age. And myself, I went into this kind of dark place in high school. And it's hard to come out of and it's hard to feel supported when you feel so alone and in this dark place so for me too it was that was another time where I really wished that there was someone that I could speak to someone who would understand without judgment of what I was going through and I wanted to be that person so as funny enough as my life progressed I had an incident a traumatic experience which caused me to have PTSD symptoms and it was a time where I felt like I couldn't I couldn't even talk about it because the language wasn't there for me the ability to speak about it wasn't there because every time I went to speak about it I would have a trigger something would happen I would become really inward I wouldn't be able to be touched I would have nightmares. So it's kind of that processing and understanding and understanding the science behind it and all the different supports that were really lacking in that area, the understanding and the stigma. I remember my dad, he was, bless his heart, he was an all, like, I love him to death. But he just turned to me, he's like, I think you need a brain scan. (laughs) And he seriously thought that a brain scan would somehow tell us what was going on and that there was a tumor or something and it's just it's not that simple there's so many aspects so many layers of mental health and just not having that knowledge available to family or friends at that time really really it angered me I really didn't understand why why healthcare wasn't focusing on mental health the way it should be today I see so many people I've been a nurse for over 10 years and seeing so many people come into the clinic and have all these symptoms of heart problems, stomach issues, trouble breathing, and a lot of it seemed to be triggering back to stressful times in their lives. Stress being the main trigger, we have so many ailments in our bodies which are caused by stress. And there's a great documentary called Heal, which is on Netflix, and I think everyone should watch it because it really opens the door to how that mind-body connection works. And just to not be able to help these individuals 
with the care they needed, with just the stigma of it. As soon as someone has been told they have a mental health illness, whether it's depression, anxiety, PTSD, they automatically think that something's wrong with them, that people are going to think less of them because of it, less of me because of it. And that's such a shame because I feel like that is one of the big barriers which allows people to reach out for help. So to break that stigma, to break down the walls between mental health and break down the negative stigma around mental health. I think that's super important. And just the care alone in the medical system, we're having kids, adults, teens go up and be discharged two days later with no real help. They're going home and their parents are burnt out from sitting up 24-7 with these kids who are on suicide watch. And it's just, it's awful. There's no support for the family. There's no support for the friends or for the patients. So I would just, I just want to help out any way I can to bring awareness to that and try and make a change as little or as great as I can do in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. What do you think is contributing to the increase of these kind of incidents especially Mm -hmm. I even think like like small town rural area like where we grew Mm -hmm. up I feel like it's on the rise and like astronomical and maybe that's just because it's so close to home that I'm really becoming aware of it but what is it that's contributing to what's going on? I feel like it's the disconnection between self. I feel like a lot of individuals, we don't know who we are and we don't deal with a lot of our emotions, a lot of things we've been through, trauma, grief, and even experiences. So we have a generation that was in the war and then they had children and they're our parents and they still have the effects of that they're seeing trickle down from their parents and the way they were raised. And then it's, it's just a domino effect. And now we're in the stage where there's social media, there's so many people telling these children, these adults, these teens, how they're supposed to be, how they're supposed to look, what they're supposed to be doing, they're supposed to have a job, they're supposed to just look a certain way, be a certain way, have all these friends, and it can make you feel very alone. And I think there's multiple contributing factors to it, but just this inability to truly know ourselves and really have that tribe-like sense, that support system around us from a very young age, I feel like... I feel like that's what we need again. We need to really dive into who we are. And I feel like that would really help. As far as individuals who have all that, I really don't know. I don't have the answers for that. I think everyone is so individual with that. But I just, I feel everyone's being told what to do and who to be, that we've just so disconnected from ourselves and who we are that it really brings us into this great place of shame and disconnect and it's it's difficult it's difficult to live in today's society mm-hmm. I almost too think there's this validation mm-hmm. of if you get the good grades then I will show you love if you're yes. the star track player or the, if you end up being really good at hockey or whatever it is then you will be showed love and I think a lot of parenting has that as the foundation. And I don't know if that's something that's always been, it's just been something that's coming to the forefront for me recently of like, we are just raising children that don't feel like they're enough just as they are. Like you you get 60 out of a hundred on a freaking math quiz. That is awesome. And I feel like there is so much behind this validation. And beyond that, then there's the validation from your peers, of like the likes and all that kind of thing. So I think so many people 
just cannot be who they were meant to be because they're doing things based on the validation from other people versus having that kind of self-love that they're Mm -hmm. built on. Absolutely. And I feel like the underlying aspect of not being enough is shame, right? We feel shameful because we didn't get that great and now mom or dad is angry or my peers think I'm stupid because I'm not as smart as them and we feel that shame. We carry that shame with us and we kind of walk with our head down, our shoulders sloped forward. And and how how awful is that that we can't just be who we are? And how as kids, like I know recently my daughter was getting a lot of pressure at school because she wasn't at this certain reading level. And I'm sitting here thinking, am I a bad parent? Like, how can I make her a better reader? And really, I just sit back and think, I'm not, I can't make her a better reader. And what's wrong with where she is right now? She loves reading. She is so fascinated by books. We could read multiple chapter books in a week because she just loves it. And to me, it's let's sit back and really evaluate, is the child loving what they're doing and just not where you think they should be? Or is it just the child is having trouble, but let's not shun them or say you're not at a level he four or a level F, whatever it is in kindergarten reading. Like I feel like we're so caught up in shaming these kids for not being where society and the generalized testing thinks that they should be, that they're carrying that heavy weight and they're not just getting it in school unintentionally from teachers, but from peers, from their parents from aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters are being compared to siblings. And it's so, so much pressure on their little shoulders. It's, mm-hmm. it's tough. It's, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah. And as parents, you're being told you're not a good parent if your kid's not doing this. You're not a good parent if you're not running every weekend for hockey. Like your kid has to do four sports and take a music lesson and be in an arts camp. And it's tough to be anyone, to be that kid, to be that parent, to be siblings. It's, it's a, like you said, it's that validation that I feel like they're not getting. And especially in the teenagers, I feel like Instagram and social media, they don't get so many likes on their picture, then, then they just feel so uncool in quotes. You know and, what I mean? Like, and you know what's so fucked is that the thing that the, that controls that is the algorithm of Instagram who shows mm-hmm. your pictures to a certain amount of people based on the hashtags that you use, which mm-hmm. is fucking stupid. Yes, like just thinking like- about the algorithm, I'm like, to a child, they don't understand the algorithm no, and understand no. that. They're like, oh my God, I only got three likes. But yeah. maybe only three people saw your photo, but you just don't know that. You think like, oh, I have 150 friends, so 150 people should like it. So it's like, there's all this crap that's like, we have to educate and explain this to our children, but it's so messed up. Like it probably it is. isn't going to make a lot of sense to a five-year-old or a 10-year-old oh. or a 15-year-old or whatever that is because it's almost like you if you don't educate and start talking about it, earlier and earlier they are like they're gonna have exposure to it they're gonna have other people in their class that are that are having social media and that are having these things so we have to start having the conversations sooner rather than later so they don't get all caught up in this mess that they're not really understanding and we're just assuming that they understand it in the way that an adult understands it absolutely and I find that it just contributes to that cycle of mental health because now they think that they're not validated they think that they're not enough and underlying is the shame and that just trickles into this whole mess of a situation and 
Oh, I don't know. I love social media. I love everything we have. But at the same time, it's a bit of a curse as well. Yeah, it's messy for sure. It's so messy. And how do you explain it? Like you said, how do you explain it to a kid that's upset because they only have three likes when it's maybe just those three people that they saw the picture and they love it instead Mm -hmm. of 10 people and only three liked it? It's it's so hard. It's so hard. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, there's two big topics I kind of wanted to talk a little more to about. So the first one was the whole concept of self love so somebody who's listening to this podcast right now I'm sure there's somebody listening that's thinking to themselves you know I just want to love myself as I am how do we begin on the journey of really truly having that kind of level of (laughs) self-love I think you have to work on the forgiveness first I think you have to start and even just getting a piece of paper and write down I forgive myself for Because when we look and see what we forgive ourselves for, that's usually where our lack of self-love comes in. It's usually where that I'm not enough comes in, where the shame comes in. It could be from I, I forgive myself for yelling at my sister. I forgive myself for being mean to that girl in school. I forgive myself for giving my coworker a snarky look. It could be simple things or it could be I forgive myself for not saying goodbye to my husband as he walked out the door and was unfortunately in a car accident. It could be many things. And it's once we start to forgive ourselves that I truly feel like we start to begin that cycle of self-love, start to step into ourselves because we are being so raw and so honest with ourselves. And being raw and honest with yourself is so important because you don't want to be shitting yourself, right? Like I, I call it a shitting yourself because if we're not honest with ourselves, if we continue to think, oh, I should be giving myself self-love, but I instead need to be here because of this, that, other things. I need to put on this tough woman persona because that's what I should be doing according to Johnny down the road or whatever. Then we get off track and we don't really get into that point of loving ourselves, being honest with ourselves, being transparent to ourselves. We begin making up excuses as to why we can't rather. So writing down, I forgive myself for just free writing it, not having an attention, not really overthinking it, just being very simple with that. And it could be simple acts as well. Making yourself a coffee and drinking it when it's hot. That's an act of self-love. Having a bath, a ritual, going for a walk, just sitting in your car for five minutes and breathing deeply before you go into the chaos that could be your home or your office is another act of self-love. It starts with the little things and then it begins to be a way of life. It's not a fad, it's a lifestyle. So just starting really small and being very compassionate with yourself, patient with yourself and forgiving with yourself. I think those are the first steps. What about for the woman, though, that the root of it is not being happy in her body? Mm. I think, again, we have to forgive ourselves for judging our body, right? Yeah. The thing I hear the most often is, because I just, I work in this space, right, mm-hmm. is is people missing out on elements of their life because mm-hmm. of them not feeling comfortable in their own skin and feeling yeah. comfortable in their body. They won't wear the bathing suit when they go swimming. They won't mm-hmm. take pictures with their children. They won't participate in life in the way that they really want to because they say, oh, I will do all those things once my body looks a certain way. So Absolutely. what kind of advice can we give to those yeah. people who are listening and are thinking, yeah, but my legs don't look like hers or my butt doesn't look like hers. What can we tell them? 
Yeah, well, my first thought is, why are you comparing yourself? What's that deep rooted? What was the first time you really had that feeling of disconnect from your body where you didn't feel like your body was good enough? Um, To be very transparent, when you said that about the bathing suit, I remember in high school, this this guy kept asking me to go on a sea do, come down to the lake, come down and hang out with us. And I kept saying no because I didn't want him to see me in a bathing suit. Looking back, I had a friggin' rocking body. But my vision of how I saw my body was completely distorted. And for me, that takes time. There's a sense of maturity that goes along with it. You have to kind of dig into that deep work, find out why it is you're having that feeling towards yourself. In my instance, I tracked it back to when I was probably five or six years old. An aunt gave me a pair of extra large sweatpants for my birthday. I was maybe a smaller, extra small. I was a pretty bony little kid. And for me, I thought that they were giving that to me because they thought I was bigger than what I was. There started my body dysmorphia. So it's kind of, it's figuring out when was the first time you had that thought that your body was not good enough. When your body, when you weren't happy with your body, start there and work up. Because I feel like if we start to do all these self-love things, it kind of sits on the surface. It's a bit superficial because we can do all that. But if that deep lying scar is still there, it's going to continue to eat away at us and continue to pop up once again and once again and once again. We begin that pattern. So for me, I'm a deep diver. I like to go down into that deep aspect. When was the first time you remember having that concern about your body and starting there? I don't really know a quick fix, unfortunately, just doing what makes you feel confident. So if going to the gym makes you feel confident and beautiful, doing that, if having a fake tan makes you feel free and confident to go run on the beach with your kids, then do that. But knowing that that's a temporary fix, you got to do the soul work, the deep work to have that long-term fix. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. really have that answer for a no, short-term this is- so it's not it's not it's not really a short-term thing it's Mm -hmm. more so like somebody that's listening that's kind of like what's my first step I I love that you shared that and I think that's such a great and rejuvenating perspective in relation to it what about that like self-sabotaging behavior Mm -hmm. that we see so often not only in women but men too but most of our listeners are women but why do we sabotage Yeah, I think we sabotage sometimes as a way to dim our light. I think that's one of the main causes. If you look at one of the times you've self-sabotaged as a person, I think we've all been there. And it's usually when we start to feel like we're shining and almost we have this feeling of we're shining brighter than someone else. And then we start to feel sad or feel a little bit bad for the person we're outshining. And then we begin to dim ourselves. I've seen it with body image. I've seen it in school when it comes to women and girls who are really, really smart and then they act really ditzy because, well, I don't, they're going to think I'm too smart or not good enough for them or that my group of friends won't like me if they think I'm really smart. It's, there's so many aspects of it, but I feel like the main cause is because we start to shine. We feel like we start to shine brighter than someone else when in reality, that's not true. And we are not responsible for how everyone else perceives us. And I think our greatest power is stepping into our light, but self-sabotaging is a way to keep us comfortable in the, in where we are at at this moment. So self-sabotaging is a way to keep us in our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Almost like a protection mechanism. Absolutely. It kind of is like putting on that winter coat, zipping it up, 
you zip in all your light. You stay warm and comfortable and cozy. And to unzip that coat, it makes us feel a little bit vulnerable and seen. And that can be that can be really, really scary, especially if you don't really know who you are and you don't really feel comfortable in your own skin. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of women, like, I know we kick ass, but I think we think, like, we have this weird relationship with power. Like, we mm-hmm. almost don't want to step into power. We don't want to. We get very fearful of that full potential, I believe. I feel like I see so many women who are not living a life for themselves. They're not happy. They are doing exactly kind of what your life used to be like. And it's it's one of those things where it's like they almost think, oh, if I'm powerful or I step into my power, then I'll be viewed as blank. And sometimes it's this judgment of, uh, oh, she's so selfish because she's mm-hmm. doing that. Or her priorities are out of whack because she's doing that. Yeah. And I think there's there's so much of that. And it's really, really unfortunate. It's like you just, you see it in women's, like you see it in their eyes. Like even at like different activities that I go with with my son, you can just tell that like, I don't want to say people's souls are dead, but you can just tell that there's not that same vibrancy as somebody who's really stepped into who they are and, um, and their authentic self. Yeah, absolutely. You can tell in someone's eyes if they're truly stepping into their power or not. And I feel like as women, we've been taught through generations and generations and generations that power is to be feared. Um, We fear power because of what's happened in history to us, right? If you look back to the times of priestesses, we were very powerful. We were extremely powerful until men came along and things happened. I I can't even go into it right now. But if you just research back and see what women have gone through as a whole, whether it be powerful women who were healers or medicine women, they were burned at the stake. Any men who accused a woman of speaking her truth, speaking up for someone else, having a medicine of some sort, they were all burned. So women kind of went into hiding. We went inwards. We had to be quiet. We were forced to be quiet. Otherwise, we would face a certain death at one point in history. And so to come back out of that shell is very, very scary. And we're still feeling that those effects, especially in the workplace. I've seen it myself. Someone stood up to their male boss, and then their male boss starts treating them like shit because... I don't know why. To me, from my perception, from my perception point, it's because now he's scared of her power. She won't take his shit. And to him, that may be very scary. So what is he going to do? He's going to treat her to try and push her back down in her place, right? So I find that women stepping into our own power, it's very, very terrifying. And um, around the world, uh, I don't know if you can feel this buzz of feminine rising. So that's amazing for women because now we're kind of stepping into that power and we're being cheered on by other women and men in this time and age. So I totally get why women aren't stepping into our power. And that's my, that's my perception of why we aren't and why that's scary. There's many different aspects, especially if you've gone through a life where you've been beaten down, 
by others in your workplace or in your family life, that can play a role in it too. If you've had someone you've looked up to that's gotten trouble for standing their ground and being in their power, that can have a very huge impact on you. So it really is hard to stand in your power as a woman. So hopefully it's getting much easier for us as women to stand in our power confidently, linking arms with other women. And I really hope that we continue to do that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I definitely see see women being too scared to step into their power for whatever reason. And yeah, the whole history behind that and the whole feminine rising right now is very exciting. Mm-hmm. It's an exciting time for women. Agreed. Do you think that even in the dynamics of a relationship, like let's say husband and wife, that it is threatening to be with a powerful woman? I think it depends on the man. I think if that man has grown up to believe that a woman's place in the house is to cook clean and bear children, that he may see that as powerful women is very intimidating. I think on the flip, if you are with a man who empowers you to be who you are, who cheers you on, who doesn't see you as less than him, then I don't think it's influenced by the man in the home. I feel like it totally depends on who you're with and what the situation is, Mm -hmm. how that man's been raised and how you as a woman's been raised. Are you worthy of that equal partner? Or how do you perceive yourself? And generally how we perceive ourselves to be in a relationship is going to show up in our relationship. So it, it has a couple different aspects there. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a tough conversation to have if the partner, for example, sees you in a different role than what you would like to be, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like Absolutely. It, like if they envisioned getting married to you and you becoming X, Y, and Z, because that's what they grew up with or that's their perception and, and perhaps... It's, it's one of those conversations that we really need to have prior to getting married, in my opinion, because I feel like that's what happens, right? We, we step into marriage and often very quickly. And um, yeah, maybe the, the perspective or what feels right for you isn't what you had originally anticipated or what the other person had originally anticipated. Absolutely. I feel that there's definitely a conversation you need to have before you're married. Unfortunately, I think it doesn't happen because... Sometimes we're scared because that's a very vulnerable discussion. Can you imagine having that discussion about three months before you're going to get married and you realize, holy crap, we have two totally different views on what's going to happen here. And that puts you in the point. Do I stay? Do I go? Can we fix this? How do we move forward? So I feel for a lot of people, especially if you're very comfortable in a relationship, to have that discussion is a very hard one to have. So I think the sooner you have that conversation, the better to really understand and have that open communication and not be playing that story in your head as how you think they want you to be, but rather ask them, be open and honest and direct with them. And then if you start to become offended, just stop the conversation and say, listen, I'm hearing you say this. Is this true? Is this what you're saying? And just do those check-ins and have that conversation because it'll save so many years possibly and so much disappointment if you just have that conversation early on. Be uncomfortable. Be vulnerable. It's okay. Mm -hmm. But definitely you have to have that conversation because nothing's worse than getting into a marriage and realizing they had a whole different view of how this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Why then, are we, yeah, well, I was going to say, why are we so afraid to have those conversations that are so uncomfortable or 
that are beyond that surface level? I think that's a tough one. I think a lot of it is vulnerability is scary. A lot of people see vulnerability as weakness when that is not true whatsoever. I think being vulnerable is the most brave thing you can ever do. You can't do something brave without being vulnerable. But I also think it's, again, a little bit of society. You know, we've been raised to be tough and not cry and kind of push things to the side. We kind of keep going and get in that comfort zone on that train of just go, 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 go. We're so busy as a whole, as a collective, that we don't make the time to sit down. We don't make the time to talk. Even with our children, we're constantly running them here, there, and everywhere. So as children, they grow up not knowing how to have those conversations. So when you become adult, having those conversations are really fucking uncomfortable because this has never happened. You've never had to do this. And now you're asking me to what? Talk about my role in this marriage and I'm scared. I'm just going to say whatever you want me to or whatever I think you want me to because I'm too scared to lose you because now I'm comfortable. Mm -hmm. And by say, speaking my truth may make you upset and then I might lose you. So it's a lot of fear-based, a lot of not knowing how to have those tools of communication and a lot of how we're brought up too and thinking that vulnerability is a weakness, which is not true. And I feel like as a society, we've really done men a disservice by making them think that they need to be rough and tough and keep their emotions bottled up. So there's many different aspects as to why that conversation is difficult and why we're so scared to have that conversation and be vulnerable and be open and communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with pretty much everything that you just said there, Sarah, I feel like. I, I feel like this has been an amazing, beautiful conversation. Now, I just wanted to spend some time in today's conversation and talk about all the cool things that you're doing. So you have your event, the Women's Wilder event. So I want to talk about that. Yeah, so that's an event. Uh, Katie Wilkin puts it on. Uh, I think it's going to be happening again this year. So we bring women together into a sacred circle and we discuss the uncomfortable. We talk about shame, vulnerability. We show up as we are and we are completely accepted by everyone in that room. And it is just so beautiful. There's women laughing and crying and embracing and just truly being seen and being loved I just, I can't even speak enough about how amazing and transformational those events are. Do they happen regularly? Um, not right now. We do do little get-togethers and groups that are like that. I think there's one in the works right now. They're just with planning and different events going on. It's been a little bit difficult to get everything together for those being done on a regular basis regular basis okay so maybe like a couple times a year or yeah I think the goal is to have them done two times a year just because it's good to have that time afterwards to reflect and go inward with mm -hmm. those afterwards and then you kind of go into different um different parts of your life where you it's it can be a deep dive and it can mm -hmm. be very overwhelming to do it too many times but at the same time having that tribe there at any point in time is fantastic so there's a group that we follow when we check in with each other so anyone who participates in those events gets a follow-up and a check-in and gets to be supported on our Facebook group as well. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. Is, there, is there a website or a Facebook group or something where people yeah, can find yeah. more info? Yeah, it's, I believe it's just Wild Her on Facebook and Katie Wilkin and myself and some others are on that page as well. So it's a great resource for anyone wanting to dive in and uh, do some deep soul work with a really amazing group of women. Amazing. And we'll be sure sure to put all of that into yeah, the show notes yeah. for everybody. That's yeah, wonderful. Absolutely. 
Awesome. So uh, what other projects do you have going on this year, yeah. Sarah? So I have a shadow work course. So basically, um, it's kind of deprogramming ourselves. So um, our first act of rejection is usually an act of survival to adapt to our environment. So we kind of dive into that um, and work through our shadow aspect of ourselves. So shadow can be perceived as very scary and very dark when in fact, we put a lot of good things in our shadow so our self-confidence can be one. So we work through as a group here at this workshop safety triggering activities we do together we work on worksheets we have a fantastic support group post workshop there's a great support group that will be had so you don't have to go and do this deep work and then walk away feeling alone so that is happening in king Carden on sunday may 5th at 1 p.m and that'll run till about 4 p.m on that sunday and you can find that on facebook as well and that event is located under my group which is sarah irwin healing and that's on Facebook as well. So that's that's a really great one if you're ready to make that big change in your life when you've been feeling this underlying disassociation with where you are in your life. Mm, amazing. If you're ready to make that change. I love yeah. it. I love it. I love it. Is this the first time you've done something like that or is this something you've been doing in the past? It's something I've been doing through classes and my energy healing sessions. But there's a bigger calling for it right now. And it keeps popping up in many different aspects of my life to be doing a shadow work workshop. So we're going to confront the subconscious in this amazing workshop. And hopefully if it goes over well, I'll be doing numerous other ones and kind of building on it, maybe doing some talks on it and we'll, we'll see where it goes. I have a good feeling about it and I've had lots of great feedback. So I'm really looking forward to it. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. And so we just, uh, yeah, we just end things the same way every time. And that is Sarah, how would you like to be remembered? Ooh, I would like to be remembered as being someone who is kind to everyone, who held space for people to just be themselves, to show up as they are, as someone who was a great mom, who loved with her whole heart and showed up wholeheartedly for everyone I interacted with. Mm. Ah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. It sounds like you're well on your way in relation <laughs> to all of those things, Sarah. Yeah. Thank you. So yes, I just want to commend you for the way that you show up in this world and and just thank you for taking the time to have today's chat. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. And I'm excited to meet you in person at the wedding. That's going to be very exciting. (laughs) That's going to be awesome. I'm excited. (laughs) Yeah, the episode will be live on Thursday and I will be sure uh, sure to tag you up. Now, do you have an Instagram I can tag you in? Yeah, absolutely. I have my own personal one, which is just Sarah E. Irwin. And then I have, which I have a lot of following on that one. And then I have uh, Sarah Irwin Healing as well. So everything's pretty consistent. Sarah Irwin Healing um, or SarahIrwin.net as well. Cool. Yeah. That sounds good. Well, have yourself a great day. Thanks for today's conversation. Yeah, thank you and have a good evening. Yeah, bye for now. (laughs) Bye-bye. That's a wrap, guys. Thanks for joining me for today's conversation with Sarah Irwin. Now, I did want to let you know that our team and training camps, both our May event and September event, are now officially open for registration. And just so you know, that early bird pricing is not going to be on for much longer. So if either of the camps are something of interest to you, I want to make sure that you head on over to teamandtrainingcamps.com to get all of the details about them. Our May camp is our one-day beginner camp, and then our September camp is our two-day intermediate and advanced camp, both held in Gorey, Ontario, Canada. 
These camps are really designed to bring together you with like-minded individuals who share the same passion for health, fitness, and personal development. These camps are designed to give you the complete confidence that you have the precise form and technique so that you can really get consistent progress and stop wasting your time in the gym doing things that are not going to get you the results that you're after. We go through the six critical mistakes that you need to stop making so that you can hit new personal bests and achieve the body that you really are truly working towards. We teach you how to find the right weights to make maximum progress at your current skill level. We essentially give you all of the diet and nutrition information that you are going to need to hit whatever goal you're after. If you want to build more muscle or you want to lose fat or you want to just really learn how to make meals that are going to suit your family, these camps are for you. So one more time, you're gonna head on over to teamandtrainingcamps.com. If any of this resonates, I would absolutely love to meet you in person, hang out for either the one day or the two day. If you wanna come to both, that would be absolutely fantastic. And if you have any questions, we do have our inquiry form on the website. So if there's things that you need more clarity on, be sure to head on over to teamandtrainingcamps.com. And that's it for today, guys. Thanks for joining me. Ciao. Guys, I'm on a really big mission here and I want to transform 1 million lives, but I need your help. I can't do it alone. I want you to take this episode, share it with just one person. Maybe it's a friend or a family member or maybe a coworker, just one person who could really benefit from the information in this week's episode or perhaps a previous episode. That is how we create impact. That is how we get this movement going. That's how we take people from feeling tired and just not having a fulfilled life and we put them into fulfilling their full potential. So I challenge you guys to share this with just one person. It would mean the world to me. And as always, head on over to iTunes, subscribe so that you never miss an episode. They come out every single Thursday. That is my commitment to all of you guys so that you guys can continually grow, expand, and fulfill your full potential. Have a great week. We'll catch you next time. Lots of love. Ange.